0: And now it is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, morning. and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're so really so very glad that you've tuned into the show today. And as we always say, and we mean it, we hope to stick around for as much of the show as possible. We're on for an hour till 10 o'clock Eastern time, and we're here. To not only discuss various script, scriptural or spiritual topics, but we're here to take your calls, comments, questions, whatever's on your mind about that, or anything that's on your mind. You don't, have to, you don't have to comment or call about what we're discussing. You can change the subject anytime you would like, and we're very happy for that to happen. So, we want to welcome you to the show. As I mentioned, We Are Just Christians is a live call and show. Let me give you the numbers for that. You can reach us here in Port St. Lucie at 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. Ray at the station there will patch you right through to us. We're doing this on Skype from at our church building, but we'll be able to talk back and forth. Sometimes there's a little bit of a delay, so we'll try not to step on you, and you can forgive us if we do that because we don't mean to do it. And we'll try to have a conversation. But it works out pretty well. We hope you'll call 772-340-1590. If you can't call, you can text. There are two text numbers that we use here. They're very similar. Uh, Mike Schmidt, mine is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120. Gary Jones, the other host, is 772-260-6220. 772-260-6220, 7722606220 and we'll we'll take your text not only during the show and we'll try to respond if we can but we also will, can take them anytime during the week we'd be glad to glad to have a conversation with you or you can give us something you'd like us to do for another show or whatever it may be you can use those text numbers to get a hold of us as well as an email we have an email at justchristians@att.net justchristians@att.net as you heard, my name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the church here in Port St. Lucie. It's, uh, we're on Savona Boulevard at the corner of California and Savona, just south of that little shopping center, milk and things, and I think it's what it's called, the daycare center there California Savona, cat a corner from the school, and that that's where our meeting place is, and uh, I'm the, minister, the preacher, and one of the elders, Gary Jones, is the other elder, retired engineer, so... We have different perspective on a lot of things, and we have exactly the same perspective on a lot of things. So the same, we have the same basic understanding of Scripture and belief system, presuppositions. We just come from very different backgrounds. So hopefully that helps, gives a little bit of variety to the show. We'd like to hear what you have to say, though. Maybe you've had a, a difficulty in some church situation. Maybe you've been ill-treated by religious people in some way. And We would be glad to talk with you about that and uh, hear what you have to say. Perhaps you have a question from the Bible that's always troubled you or you'd like to hear our opinion about that, what we think the Scriptures say. We'll try to answer that and give you Scriptures to back it up if we possibly can. Or perhaps you'd just like to talk about something that's going on in your life or some personal situation that you would like some advice on from the Bible. We'd be glad to do that. This show is about that. Whatever question you ask, we're going to try to give you the perspective of the New, the New Testament in, that, in answer to that question. A very basic, fundamental, some would say literal reading of the New Testament. There's various interpretations of what the literal means. Literally, Gary, there's literally many interpretations of literal. But we mean by that a direct and plain reading of the text. Uh, and with for trying to preserve the intent of when it was written and how it was written. And then applying that in principles to the first century, to the 21st century where we live, and we believe that should be done with all of our religion, and, and that that the New Testament forms a consistent and the correct worldview that we ought to have today in society. So we believe that the Christian worldview is the proper worldview, not that not not a uh, what do you call what do they call it now theocracy they're worried about yes not, not a theocracy. Because I don't think the Bible teaches that in the way that it's often understood. Does the Bible teach that Jesus is Lord of Lord and King of Kings? Absolutely. And he ought to rule, but he doesn't necessarily rule by having representatives in a parliament or something like that, or by certain presidents, that's not how Jesus rules the world. So in any event, we're getting off the track already, Gary. Well, he, uh,
1: he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not
0: of this not world. A, it's a different kind of kingdom, right? but it certainly involves this world and is important in this world. So in any event, that's our general perspective on things. We'd invite your participation. Perhaps you uh, find all that appalling, and, or you're an unbeliever. We'd love to hear from you too. Just give us a call. We promise that we're going to give you the last word, and we're not here to mistreat you or misrepresent you. If you hear us misrepresenting uh, someone's beliefs here on this show, we'd appreciate you letting us know about that, and we'll try to talk with you about that, or if we need to, we'll make amends and, and learn something from it. So we have no intention of misrepresenting what people believe, but we we certainly don't believe that everybody is correct in what they believe. You have a right to believe what you want, but that doesn't make you Right when you believe it, okay? You can you have a right to believe crazy things if you like. Uh, is politically is crazy politically incorrect?
1: Here? Yeah, crazy is probably politically incorrect. Probably
0: politically yeah. incorrect. Uh, any event, let's. Uh, we have a phone call. Let's oh, go God. to the phones. Uh, Jerry, are you there? Well, I'm not hearing Jerry. I don't know whether it's problem on our end or his end. Let me make sure we've got everything set up correctly. Well, we were hearing the radio station. Try it there. again. Uh, uh, are you there, Jerry? Action. There you uh, go. Okay. The can you start, admonish. Jerry, can you start over? I didn't hear what you had to say at oh, the yeah, beginning. Okay, I'll
2: start over. Uh, okay. I want to about the word admonish uh,
0: uh,
2: as a, uh, opposed to the word atonement and uh, and the word, the different tenses of the word and a monochine uh, you know, going you know, showing auction if I remember correctly from uh, College English uh, I- ING at the end of the world is uh, uh, showing a- action, but I'm not sure about that uh, uh-huh. and uh, just what I'm asking this morning is uh, the word uh, how close is it to the word atonement and is it, is it just a matter of uh, technicalities or uh, I'm sorry, I heard a folk about you, well, I'm hard to well understand, but uh, they're basically my, my question, admonish, M O and I'm sorry, of right. okay.
0: I, Yes,
2: I, to, I, you're uh,
0: perfectly clear, I, Jerry, and I appreciate you calling in.
2: All right, thank you.
0: Much. Okay, very much. Uh, the word admonish, now, first of all, is I answer this, i got to think about this, but I don't really see a connection between admonish and atonement there is something I could connect them with perhaps and we'll talk about that in just a moment the word admonish is not not at all an uncommon word in the New Testament it's not something that we it's not a word we use in common conversation or English today so it's a little bit of a slightly archaic not completely but slightly archaic word but it's the New Testament has a lot of usages of this and it's the word nuthateo uh, in Greek newthesis nuthateo, and that is a word that is often would be often brought into our English language as the word counsel to give someone counsel or counseling. We have a lot of uses of counseling in our society it's a big thing and that's probably the closest New Testament word to that to that word and there have been there's a whole branch of Christian counseling called. Nuthetic counseling, based on this idea of admonishing. Now, what it means in literally in Greek is to put in mind. The new, new the, the part of it is the word for mind, and so it is to put in mind or to to caution someone, to warn them, uh, to reprove them gently. It, it and, and here's the thing, Gary. I, I don't know if uh, Jerry's still there. I don't think Gary, Jerry. I think Jerry hung up, but
1: reproof is one
0: well, of them well yeah you have i think in the way they were commonly used in in greek at the time that this was written you have all these words for to correct someone and so correction for, can go from a stern rebuke you know uh, a a tongue lashing almost as it were really as we would say dressing somebody down all the way backwards from there to putting your arm around somebody and kind of giving them a few words of encouragement, you know, even though you have in mind that they they've kind of messed up here and they need to correct something, but you start off with a gentle admonishment and you make it more, try to make it oftentimes positive or encouraging along with correction. Then you have, so you have admonish, you have reprove, you have correct, and then you have rebuke.
1: It's not Which always is
0: stronger,
1: right? And it's not always translated in those words. For no, instance, in Acts twenty and thirty-one, Paul in the New King James, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone right. night and day with tears. Right. So, it, so that's the it, same it, thing. It,
0: it can, yes, and it can be same word, and it can be see a, a, a counseling, for example. And here's the di- here's the difference. It brings up a whole new world. Maybe we don't want to go there this morning, Gary, but. It, Counseling is a big, broad term. It's very popular. But there, you have to understand when, you, when people recommend counseling to people, and when I recommend counseling to people, I may have something very much different in mind than what the world is. Counseling, and a couple of branches of that, one of them is uh, a kind of a, uh, what do they call it? There's a name for it, self-directed counseling, where you kind of say, well, uh, how does that make you feel? Well, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? Have you come up with anything? And so you're letting the person self-direct their course of action. You're letting them self-evaluate their actions and attitudes, and uh, and so forth. And so, with the idea in mind that everybody has, everybody has within them the ability to correct themselves, to live their own life, and to make their decisions. And whatever anybody decides is okay. Whatever you decide for your life and the way you want to live. Is all fine because I'm okay and you're okay. Now, I may be oversimplifying, but not by much, <laughs> this whole concept of modern counseling. This is what you often get when you go to a counselor today. And often you get that kind of counseling with so-called Christian counselors. Now, there, is a, there, is a, there are even a couple of organizations, but uh, the American Association of Christian Counselors and so forth, they tend to be what are called nuthetic counselors with the idea that, yes, there is a right and wrong in the world. There is right and wrong. And the scriptures teach us right and wrong, wise and unwise, good and bad about what to do and what to think and how we ought to act. And that the goal of the counselor is to evaluate and listen to the counselee, listen to them, and help guide them by admonishment, by neutheteo to know the right course of action. And so a New Thetic Counselor is often going to, if necessary, confront you and say, that was a very poor choice and what you did was wrong. You're never going to hear that from a secular counselor. Very rarely would you ever hear that. Even a New Thetic Counselor might even tell you what you did was a sin and go and show you the Scripture, for well, that's a sin. That's one word that can never be uttered by a secular counselor. In fact, if you get your license from the the main um, organization, United States, you'd get it revoked for using the word sin with someone. Oh yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm not literal. I'm not making that up. Okay, that's act. That's actually true. And you could, you would be, admon- you would be admonished. Strange, strange enough, the people that don't believe in admonishing, just try giving Christian biblical counsel to someone as a counselor, and you will be admonished. Okay, so they do believe in admonishing and correcting, but just not over. Uh, anything up that has to do with sin or personal behavior or whatever. So the word admonish in the Bible is a common New Testament word that it means to correct. Now what that implies, this, there's a lot in this word because what it implies is that there is a standard of correct thought and action that a person has deviated from. That's the very implication, a necessary inference behind the word admonishing someone is that they have deviated from a course of right thought and action to some degree, and the person who's doing the admonishing is trying to bring them back to the right course of thought and action. Does that make sense, Gary? Yeah. It's implicit in the word. Now, if you live in a society where we can't correct anybody because everybody's okay, it becomes an archaic or strange concept.
1: Well, it looks like the the confusion might arise from the way it's translated some— as I found one place that was translated teaching and then another place Paul uses he says uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing so there's, yeah. there's a little bit but of see, difference see, there. Te-
0: there is often a difference but uh, the thing and I, th- I think the translator would go would go one way or the other now see teaching is a teaching is correction Yes. You're correcting someone's knowledge when you teach them something. You are implicitly correcting either
1: uh, either by immature
0: act. or in, in, insufficient or incorrect knowledge. That's what you're doing when you
1: teach. Well, or the absence of knowledge.
0: Yeah, or that's what I say. Ignorance of it. So what you're getting that then? So you go from just teaching someone something to stern rebukes. You have these this range of words in the New Testament. And Christians are called to try to be wise to know when it's right to use which method. And and so it involves a lot of things. So, yes, there's the same thing. And you're right. It's used many different ways. Uh, we're supposed to don't we're not we're told not to count someone as an enemy when they sin, but admonish him as a brother for 2 Thessalonians right. 315. And and we admonish young women to love their husbands, love their children. So that's a that's direct kind of teaching it involves oftentimes correction of errors and wrong and there's these different uses of this word and then you have reprove rebuke the, the most and I don't know if it has this word in it uh let me let me look it up here and I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Second Timothy 3 uh 15 16 of Second Timothy 3:15, that from Paul tells Timothy, this young man, younger man, that from childhood you have known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's the word we would get teaching, didaskila, which just simply means to teach someone. Once again, teaching implies a deficiency, or it's a form of correction. Either, like you say, from absence of knowledge or ignorance or misinformation or whatever, for reproof. Okay, that's electos. To the word reproof there in in Second Timothy three sixteen is a legal word electos, which means to convict someone as if you were a prosecutor. So the word of God acts like a prosecutor sometimes, and produces the evidence to show. That you are guilty of something, whatever it may be. So evidence evidence can be brought forth from the scripture to show that your your actions and in this case also in the scripture thoughts are at odds with what God says is correct or right or just.
1: Well, that's the idea in basically in a passage we quote often, John twelve forty eight. Right. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's the exact idea behind that passage. That's the standard by which you're going to be measured or prosecuted.
0: And he says, so the word of God is profitable for doctrine or teaching, for reproof, that's conviction of sin or conviction of error, for correction, he says, which is a word that means literally to straighten up again, to rectify or to bring to a straight condition. So something is bent, and when you use This word that's used here for correction is straightening something that's bent or bringing it back to line something up the way it should be lined up, as it were, brought into that.
1: Well, now that's the only connection I can see between that and atonement, because atonement is given as uh, a type of reconciliation.
0: Yes, and so, I can so say there is a connection it, it's pretty it's, it's a pretty distant connection too so will. that's what jesus did he he atoned for our sins by bringing us back into a right condition before god if we're if we are believers and obey him, we can be brought back into a right condition before God or a straightened condition by yes. the work of Christ, not by our own work but by the work of christ, so yes, there is a there is a, con- a connection there in that way. So, the, But the word admonish is not used in the verses I just quoted in Second Timothy 3. But uh, you see this reproof. You see different shades of the reproof. Uh, hang on. Let me find it. I know there's another. Um, I know there's another re- overt. I just can't think of where it is at the moment. I'm. Uh, oh, why can't I think of it? I think sometimes Gary, I'm losing it, but I can't I know I know this verse um uh, yeah, here it is. it's in second Timothy four verse two he tells Timothy to preach the word, be ready or in season and out of season, so preachers, teachers of the word should be ready to teach. Whether they like it, keep, it or not whether you like it or not, whether the other people like it or not, whether whether it's convenient for you or not. We are to convince. And that's this word, same word, which means to convict. I think the King James uses the word convict there to convict, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and teaching. So here's this word convince, to to show people what the scriptures say. Which when you read the scriptures, one experience you'll have if you're a sincere reader of the New Testament or the Bible, you will often be convicted of your shortcomings. Without anybody saying a word to you, if you read with any kind of thought, you'll be convicted of your own shortcomings. But then, then to rebuke, this is a stronger word. It means to, it means to really means to lay a tax on, Gary. To sh- censure or admonish, to forbid, to charge sometimes a rebuke straightly which means you know pretty upfront it's straight talking about someone's wrong that's rebuke and to exhort exhort is similar to admonish exhort means it's a word that means to call out to beseech or call out and so sometimes it's used in this used in verses like this to mean uh Show someone the right path and call them out onto the right path. So exhorting someone is to say, this is what's right. You ought to be doing this. You ought to change what you're doing and come back to this right path. And we're supposed to do that with all long-suffering. That means patience for people and teaching people. So the teaching is a more positive aspect, but that's also a form of correction. So you have all these various words, admonishment, Nutheteo is counseling, and so this school of Christian counseling, the Nuthetic school, which you can look up. I, I think the founder of that school, if anybody's interested, is a man named J. Adams, J. E. Adams, who wrote many books on counseling, and founded a school of counseling uh, in, in um, I think, in Illinois. He's a pretty strong Calvinist, but he has a lot of worthwhile things to say. And I, his book, Competent to Counsel. Is, is one of his most famous works. It really changed the way I approached teaching as a very young preacher back in the mid-70s. It, it oh, altered the way I thought about how to use the word in a, in a good way. Right. Now, he's come under heavy criticism. Make no mistake about it. J. Adams is a controversial figure. Well, he's dead now. He was a controversial figure. It was, yes. But, but I'm going to tell you something. He He's right on the money, about 90% of what he says. He's right on the money is how to help people with their problems. When people come to me with a problem or come to you with a problem, and all the best you got from them is, well, how do you feel about it? You really don't help them very much in the long run. You have, At least I can't go to the Bible and find that as being the way to help people. The Bible is very clear that people often are deceived by their own hearts and their own actions. They need his word, and even even counselors. He has sections in his whole sections in his writings about how counselors go astray in their own thinking, and they got to be cautious about that, because they're they're also led astray by their own own ideas and own passions, and so you have to then always be called back to what the scriptures say, and he believes in a very practical application of scripture to people's lives, and so the, if you read his books, *Counseling the Counsel and *The Christian Counselor's Manual* you will see uh, this kind of direct counseling illustrated. And it's, it's actually proved to be very po- positively useful for people. Is it comfortable? Will it make you feel good? Uh, probably not, okay? But on the other hand, will it help you to gain a handle on your passions and what's wrong? Yes, it will, done properly. But anyway, that's the basis of the word admonish, it's actually a word we might call counseling. So, yes, I believe everybody needs counseling. They need counseling not from some licensed Freudian or Jungian uh, psych- psychotherapist, but counseling from the Word of God.
1: And it often often comes in a warning.
0: Yes, and, it, and that's the best kind of counseling. So I, I have, um, when I counsel with people, which I do p- probably uh, frequently in some way, I, I always point them to the fact that we're, we're going to have to correct sometimes situations. We're going to start with, and you have to be willing to be corrected, not just do whatever I say, but be corrected by the Word of God and look at yourself straightforwardly and honestly if you want the Word of God to help you. Well, we have another phone call. Hope that helped Jerry with his question. Uh, Ken, are you on the line? you there? Okay, I'm here. Uh, I need, I uh I'm going to turn this up, but I need you to speak up a little bit, Ken, if you could. Okay. Is that better? That's better, I think, yes. Gotcha. Go ahead.
3: I called, uh, I wanted to talk about something we mentioned in in Sunday school class a couple weeks ago. We were talking about Jacob and his name being changed to Israel. And I kind of want to relate it to um, a verse in Corinthians. Second uh, Corinthians chapter three, verse fifteen, and how it applies to uh, Dennis Prager and Jordan Peterson.
1: Oh, this sounds good. What was the, what was the chapter and verse again?
0: Second Corinthians three sixteen. Well, okay. of course, the story 15. of story of Jacob's name being changed is in. Uh, Genesis thirty thirty two, I believe, if my memory is correct. Uh, in any event, um, he Jacob wrestles with the with I think the word or Christ before he became flesh. Or it says here God, Jacob was left alone in a man. If you read most translations, it'll be a capital M man. In Genesis 32:24, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And you can read the story. But he says, Jacob says to this man, he kind of overcomes him. He says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And he says, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. That's what that tells me that the one he's struggling with is God in actuality. And, but not, not just a man, and he's prevailed. And so, tell me your name, and he wouldn't tell him, and, and so forth. But he said Jacob knew he had seen God in that case. So this is where the name Israel comes from. It means striving with God. I think that I think what it means, and I know this probably isn't your question, Ken, but I wanted to say this for the rest of the audience who wasn't in the Bible class. I think what this has a double meaning in some ways. Jacob was blessed by God. He he was a the word Jacob means almost cheater or conniver or sneaky, someone who's always trying to get get the advantage over other people. Supplanter is how it's translated. It comes out of the Hebrew. Someone who's always trying to get ahead and get the advantage. Now, there's good and bad about that. Jacob was the kind of fellow in this case. He was struggling with his brothers, and in his case, he struggles with God and wouldn't let God go until He blessed him. He was determined to get a blessing. He was determined to get ahead and do well. Now God liked that about Jacob, and so He calls it wrestling with God, struggling with God. I will not let you go until you bless me. I wish more people had that attitude about God. I, we're just not going to let God go until He blesses. We're going to keep keep wrestling with God, struggling with His word, close to close with God until God blesses us. This is a good thing. Well, that's,
1: that's that's a very example of Job. Yes. Job could not understand what was going on, and yet he never turned from God.
0: But he, the reason he even had to struggle in the first place is because he was close to God. If he didn't believe in God and wasn't close to God, Job wouldn't have struggled as much yeah. with all that he did, wouldn't have suffered as much. But with Israel now, what Israel, the nation of Israel, Israel's descendants, Jacob, Israel, his descendants, They strove with God in a way of fighting against God all the time. So we use this word strive in two different ways. And I think that's the history of it all. Now, you want to apply this to 2 Corinthians 3.16. Is that right, Ken? Is that the verse?
3: Uh, 3.15. 15.
0: Okay, let me go over there. Okay, so he he talks about, uh, go back to verse 14. He's talking about the nation of Israel and this story about Moses who came down from the mountain Mount Sinai and his face had been was glowing from the presence of God and so he put a veil over it because it was going to pass away because he wasn't in direct contact with God anymore the God's glory was going to fade in him and he didn't want people to see this fading so it says that he says that uh, Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. The only way we can have this veil taken away and see the face of God again is through Christ, not going back into the Old Law, Old Testament. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So when you come to Christ, what's hidden in the Old Testament, a veil is over. You can't really see what you want to see. The veil is taken away. I think he means you can understand what's happened before. You understand the history of Israel. You understand the prophets. You understand the law. You understand all about what God's done with men once you come to Christ. Without that, there's a veil over it. It can't really be seen clearly. What do you think about that, Ken? Is that what you're getting at, or somewhere in yeah, the yeah, hand great. grenade distance? Yeah, particularly to these two gentlemen I've mentioned, Yeah, are both
3: Jews. Uh, Dennis Pago loves uh, Bible-believing Christians.
0: Even though he's a Jew, and
3: right? He's so close to becoming one himself that he doesn't want to make that final step. As a matter of fact, it was from him that I got that Idram means submit to God and Israel means wrestle with God. That's mm-hmm. in his book on Genesis. Yeah. So I find this this verse here in, in Corinthians. We're going to read it again. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Mm-hmm. And it says when Moses is read, that's specific to the, new, uh, to the first five books of the Bible. Right,
0: because what we call the Pentateuch, of the first five, the Torah, would right. be another broader word, broader word perhaps for that.
3: Right. Uh, now, uh, Jordan Peterson is now, present, uh, process, he was an atheist, but now he's professing to be a Christian.
0: But you know, got, I didn't realize he was now professing to be a Christian. I know he was moving in that direction from listening to him.
3: Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's, uh, he's not even sure. He, he, says he doesn't like the question when somebody asks him if he's a Christian because he's not even really sure
0: what he believes right? Uh-huh. Interesting. He's in process. Right. Anyway. Yeah. I compare him to C.S. Lewis in that sense of coming from a place of unbelief through, through his own personal integrity and honesty to a place of belief, but he's in process.
3: He's, he's, a, he's a big fan
0: of C.S. Lewis, by the way. Oh, he is, is he? he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. I cannot, I, I will say wait, this. Wait. Go, go ahead. Anyway, in this verse,
3: basically, what it, it, it's a surprising verse because Jesus himself talked to the Pharisees and he said, you, you believe in Moses, but Moses, Moses wrote his name. And yet and here it says, if all they do is read Moses, they don't read the prophets and the New Testament, they're not going to believe in God.
0: Well, they're not, they're not going to believe in Christ, that's for sure, which is, he yes. says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, I think the difference I, there, I'm not sure, Go, go ahead, Ken, I'm probably cutting you off. Yeah, let me, let me bring up two other verses
3: in this same chapter. Okay. Uh, okay, look at the first verse. I want to mention this because I don't know if you're aware of this. The very first verse. But we, do, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or well, that is a recommendation from you? you know what he's talking about there?
0: Well, I thought he was. I've always thought, and apparently you're going to tell me I'm wrong, which is okay. But I've always thought that he was speaking to the Corinthians as former Gentiles who would ha- who didn't eat who either needed a recommendation before they would listen to him. Or uh, he needed to bring something with him so they could they could take what he was saying seriously. Now, what does it really mean? What do you think it means?
3: Yeah, what it is is they actually did ask him for that, what is the recommendation.
0: Yeah, that's probably right. Yes,
3: they actually did ask for the letter, and he he started
0: that church. Second, yes, Second Corinthians is a defense of his Paul's apostleship in a big broad way. Because these people had not only – even though he had started the church in Corinth, which you can read about in Acts 18 and 19, you you, you see that uh, they had now come to doubt him because of the influence of these Jewish teachers who were condemning Paul and his doctrine and uh, trying to go back to the Old Testament. And so now they were demanding letters of uh, commendation. You know, I, I get this too, Ken in a different way. Now, please, I'm not comparing myself to Paul. I don't mean that at all, but I, it's a parallel in this sense. When I first began preaching, I had, a, I had an associate's degree, which really amounted to uh, a four-year degree because of the nature of the school. It was not a technically. It was a four-year degree with a two-year degree, which was recognized by secular universities as an associate's degree, but I had four years of biblical studies under some of the best men in the United States, and but when I would go out and preach to people, and so I just began preaching in these small churches in Florida and other places, and teaching classes and things like that, and and people, I was only asking people, open your Bible, let's read it together, read what it says, here's what it, here's what it says, and let's what does it mean, and and was generally accepted, but every now and then you'd have this person who didn't either like me or like what I was saying. And they wanted to know, so what are your credentials? Before they would listen to me, what are your credentials? Well, I, you know, have a two-year associate's degree in pre-law, and I have a four-year Bible degree yeah, from a Christian school. Well, this wasn't good enough because I wasn't a Ph.D. or a master's in this or that or the other. And, and mm-hmm. so they would not – I, and I found that, though, on the other hand, it was beneficial to a lot of people. A lot of people listened to me more because I didn't have a college degree in their view. Now, that's the weird thing about it. Now, later when I got a bachelor's degree, I, I don't nothing changed about me and my teaching. Some people accepted it more because I, I have a college education now in their view. Didn't change anything about what I said. The problem was I wasn't asking them to believe me because I was an expert. Gary and I here are not asking anyone to believe what we say because we're Some kind of biblical experts and we have some specific training from some approved university or a group of religious teachers. We're asking you to look at the Bible and compare what we're saying with that and judge for yourselves. That kind of thing is not good enough for a lot of people. They claim that they only believe experts. But, of course, the question is who, who who gets to pick the experts See, well, who gets the, to confirm the experts? It's it's a never-ending battle. It's a no-win battle. We don't care. if We're not asking you to believe us. That's the whole point I'm making. Now, Paul was in that same situation. Was there anything he could really do to prove to these Judaizing teachers from Jerusalem that he was teaching the truth? The answer is no. Well, yes. He was educated by Gamaliel better than they had been educated. Yeah,
1: but no, no. I, I believe there are other things he could. He healed people. He did well, miracles. No, no, that,
0: that would satisfy them, and, and the reason I, what I was saying, Gary, he couldn't satisfy them because they didn't agree with him, and since they fundamentally didn't agree with him, nothing he could have put forth would fix it, even when God gave gave the apostles in Christ miracles. And now you're correct. I don't disagree. You're correct, Gary. Don't. I'm not. Me wrong. I'm not disagreeing, but I'm saying that. Only a certain kind of person will believe the miracles and the other testimony of the Apostle Paul well, because the, it takes a certain mindset to do that.
1: Well, the problem is many of them, and, and John points this out, many of them
0: didn't believe the signs and wonders. No, they didn't. It was right in front of them. They saw him raise Lazarus. They still didn't believe him. They saw him heal the sick. They didn't believe him. They saw him feed the 5,000. They didn't believe him.
1: When it comes down to that, my, one, a person that does that, when they're reading the scripture and, and when we're trying to read the scripture and point to the scripture, I'm trying to point to the scripture because this is what God says. If you want to argue with the scripture, you're not arguing with me.
0: You're arguing with what God said. If it's something that's plain, it should be plain, plain and it's simple, plain, the plain and simple, and simple you reading see what it is.
1: You're, you're arguing with what God wrote. Okay. So now, you're not really arguing with me.
0: I not Right now that, you know, uh, I, I, I'm a pompous person, conceited, and all that. You can tell that if you listen to me. All those things. I know that, but sometimes that's to get your attention. But on the other hand, on the other side, I'm not asking you to believe me because I'm me. I'm asking you to believe, to think about what's being said and accept it as truth because it is true. Especially when you can compare it to the Bible and say that's what the Bible says. Same thing true for Gary, so forth. Now, Ken, uh, I got into the scripture I want to go to related to what you're saying here, but finish your comments on this, or at least advance him a little bit for us.
3: Let's read verse six,
0: yeah. Okay. As who also hath made go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, let me let me let me get back to where I was. I had gone over to um wait a minute. Second Corinthians okay. three and you were in, you want to go to verse okay. six? I flipped yeah. it over there. Who
3: also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. The New Testament of the letter But of the Spirit. So the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Right. So it's the new covenant. They have to know the new covenant. The old is done away with. They have to know Jeremiah 31. They have to know uh, Isaiah 53. I'm talking about the Jews now.
0: Uh huh. And this is what. And there's a lot of controversy about Old New Covenants, but here's a place where it specifically says that, along with a couple places in Hebrews. And, and I, I did a sermon on this uh, a month ago, maybe, on new. Maybe it was the beginning of the year because of that idea of being new, about the different words. In English, we have the word new. In Greek, they had two or three different words that meant new. This is one of the main ones here that's used for New Covenant in 2 Corinthians three six. The word new here means new of a different kind, not like the other ones they would call old. So this is a different kind of covenant. And it's exactly the same idea when Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8, where in Hebrews 80 quotes Jeremiah and says that this is the fulfillment of that, that God said, I will make a new covenant with you, not according to the covenant that I made with your fathers. So this new one is of a different kind, a different nature, and that's what has to be understood, that Christ's kingdom, as we said, is not of this world, and it's a different kind of covenant he's made. These these Judaizing teachers, as they're often called, these uh, supposedly Christian Jews of the Pharisees and Sadducees in Jerusalem— we're not wanting this new covenant because it, thre- it would threaten their position and their place. They were willing to accept the newness of it if it forced all the Gentiles to become Jews and live under the rabbinic traditions of the old covenant. But Paul was teaching, even though he was a, a of a greater pedigree than many of them in the Jewish traditions, Paul was saying, no we, we can't bring the Gentiles in to become Jews because we're all Christians, okay Christians and Jews are all Christians, and Gentiles and Jews can both be Christians, something new, which was what was prophesied in the old testament so this was this is the fundamental idea, and um
1: well he's he's saying, I think in verse five, Mike the same thing I'm trying to say that there were other things that that pointed to Paul. And he says in verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And he had proof
0: of that. Yes. Yes. That's right. Uh, What are your thoughts on that, Ken?
3: Yeah, uh, One thing I was going to say is, and and this isn't really just Jews, too. There's a lot of uh, denominations that are very legalistic we're talking about legalism here in the, in the old covenant and uh it, it's like the verse that i read the it, 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 letter killer the spirit gives life
1: well I, i'd be careful about using legalistic you you need to define legalistic when you say they are um uh, I apologize for that, but but basically...
0: Well, there's a couple of different definitions legalism, of legalistic. Yes. In one way, we are legalistic. Strictly following the New Testament or commands is not legalism. Right. But uh, trying to be saved by those... Like, by that.
3: like, like but, the, the, the Pharisees, making laws that weren't in the Bible. You know? Exactly.
0: Legalism truly is making a law where there wasn't one before, one a law that's not God's, and then trying to be saved by that law. And uh, yes, that that kind of thing is condemned. And what I would say, the way I would express, I think what you said, Ken. I don't know if this is what you mean, but I'll, in listening to to it, many of many denominations, when just willy-nilly, and sometimes it seems for odd reasons, have gone back to parts of the Old Testament and made that their standard or tradition or custom or belief, like like the Roman Catholic priesthood, for example, pulled out the dress and the Many elements of the Old Testament priesthood and brought it over to the well, new. How about the seventh day Adventist and seventh yes seventh day Adventist the keeping of the Sabbath as, right. as if it is still God's law today and things like that. So there's a lot of this that goes on, and uh, yes, you're correct about that. Uh, they just they're just they're picking and choosing what they want, and uh, but the main point here was Paul was saying. He, he was saying kind of similar to what I was that my my sufficiency as an apostle of Christ is found in my allegiance to His Word, His revelation, not in my educational pedigree or my pedigree in my associations. Oh, I'm a I'm a disciple of uh, uh, who of uh, you know, Oral Roberts, so you have to trust what I say. And this is a common thing in the denominational world too people's credentials and people are taught to accept people based on their associations only, not on what they're teaching, and it gets people in big trouble.
1: Well, listen, like Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being of, from mm-hmm. ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. When you and I talk, our point is the word of God is going to judge us in the last day. Here is the word of God. You read it,
0: too. Right, and, do, and we can teach people how to read effectively right. correctly, I think. Um, now, let me see if I got what you're saying. You're, you were connecting this up with the idea of Jacob and Israel. Now, what do you mean by that?
3: Uh, well, it's, uh, Israel means wrestle with God, and, and uh, Jacob means a planter. And, and uh, we, we have to sometimes wrestle with God. Uh, Abraham wrestled with God So to speak When he uh, criticized
0: him about uh, And asked him about Will he destroy Sodom for less than 20 Right This was a kind of striving with God But see the difference difference And I don't know how to express this As clearly as it is in my mind Maybe that's because that's muddled But uh, I think these great men like that are struggling with God because they believe in God and they believe in his character, but what they're seeing or thinking doesn't seem to correspond to that, and so therefore, as it were, they're wrestling with God about this. And yet other people are wrestling with God because they do not believe in God or his character or trust his word, and so they're they're just attacking or criticizing God without actually trying to understand properly who he is. Mm -hmm. It's one thing for me as a son to disagree with my father out of insolence and arrogance or disrespect. It's quite another to disagree with my father because I think what I don't understand why he's saying this or doing this when he's taught me something that seemed to be so different than that or I'm struggling with what he's doing. And so you can wrestle and with your father in different ways. I, I told my children, obviously not. I'm not comparing myself to God or as an example, but I did tell them this. I wanted them to understand that they should talk to me and their mother about anything that was on their mind or especially anything that bothered them. There was no subject that was off limits by its very nature. But now how you talk... To me about it. it was something that we could discuss and would discuss okay so they're allowed to talk about the fact that they don't like the way i disciplined them or what i had done or what i had said but they were not allowed to do so out of a place of disrespect per se and i thought hopefully they understood that i think they believe that but but they should I, I wanted them to understand i think that's a mistake a lot of parents make they take any disagreement with their from their children as a sign of disrespect, and they dismiss it and they demand complete uh, utter uh, obedience in all cases, and their children turn away from that because there's many things parents do in their maturity that immature children cannot understand. And then there's sometimes when parents are wrong as human parents, God is not wrong, but we should still do so from a pla- we do so from a place of belief we can struggle with God as it were. From a place of belief rather than unbelief. Israel, the nation, struggled with God oftentimes from a place of unbelief in his word, disobedience well, and unbelief.
1: Is it is it necessarily a striving with God or a striving toward God? I, I get that with from what he says in Hebrews six, Hebrews eleven and six. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, in that diligent search, we're going to strive. We're going to come across things we don't understand. We're going to question those things. Is that striving in the direction of that, or is that striving... In opposition to God Is is another way of might saying. Well
0: I, I don't yeah I don't think I'm I'm not talking about striving in opposition to God That's what I think would be condemned I'm saying but on the other hand Look uh, um, I've experienced bad things In my life But nowhere near as bad as many other people When I uh, When I Read and hear about situations Other people have found themselves in I can see why they don't understand what god allowed why god allowed that to happen or what happened there or how this could be right or just or fair and i can understand them struggling with god about that over many years but they need to struggle from a standpoint of belief and trust and not one of antagonism and hatred because well, then they can get the benefit from that
1: well that antagonism and hatred. we may be
0: saying the same thing in different ways
1: yeah i think we are and antagonism and hatred is taking you away from god struggling diligently to seek god toward god in that you know going to him trying to understand that is is the, the message that i'm trying to get to
0: now there there are, this is another there are many things that i have to accept as a christian even though i can't see the physical evidence of them but i have to accept them based on what i do see and what i have seen about the character of god like the promise of heaven for example a better place i don't have any Think scientific or tangible I can base that hope on uh, But I have confidence In that because I've seen The resurrection of Christ And the other things God has done And when the same one who does that Tells me I can believe in the problems of heaven I believe that Now that, that the problem with a lot of people Is they won't accept anything that God says And they just don't The truth is Gary They just don't want to be told what to do Or since they're suffering because of the loss of a loved one or some other horrible thing, they're thrashing about in their suffering like a wounded animal. And they, they, they are sometimes led astray by that, down a path of unbelief. I remember one time a dog got hit by a car in front of our house as a boy. And I rushed over there. The dog was kind of laying in the road, flopping around. And I tried to help the dog, and it bit me. That upset me. I, he, I couldn't touch him because he kept to—he kept biting me or trying to bite me. A- and I was trying to help the dog. And so sometimes we get in that position, don't we? We're suffering, and we bite the one. And, but the only comfort we have in the suffering is God, and we're biting him. <laughs> you know what I'm <laughs> saying? Rather than letting him give us some understanding and comfort through his word, we struggle, and we're so angry and hostile
1: well, I think you yeah. just—I think you just hit the message of Job.
0: Yes, I, I, it's where I'm getting a lot of it. Yes, I, the yes, the message.
1: You just hit the message of but, Job. Job but the, was struggling and and trying to understand. And, this
0: is why Satan inflicts suffering on you, and, so you'll have the reaction of the dog. He inflicts suffering on you for that reason. God allows him to do it, hoping that you he, you will turn to him for your comfort instead of biting him.
1: And 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 Job allowed part of that to succeed, but he never
0: turned from God. No. And that's the why uh, that's kind of what I'm saying now. So Israel shows both sides. That's all I'm saying. In their history, many times they 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 bit God the hand that was trying to feed them and comfort them. And He even says in Isaiah 11, I was a father to you and, and taught you how to walk. But you didn't know me. He says the ox knows its master. But you do not know me because you just turn away because you don't like the things that I do to try to correct you and straighten you up well Ken do you want to finish up what you're saying here
3: yeah uh, I'll bring up Dennis Prager again
0: uh, by the way before you do that I know, not yeah. interrupt you but I, I have great admiration for both Dennis Prager and in particular I have admiration for Jordan Peterson but well, that's another story and that probably alienated section of our audience but they don't know what they're talking about <laughs> anyway go ahead well
3: Dennis, Dennis hasn't uh, Said that Jesus is the Messiah. And
0: uh He has I too much I, to lose, Kim. You know, hmm?
3: Uh I think part of it is he doesn't want to lose his Jewish friends.
0: That's what I'm saying, he has too much to lose. Yeah. Or has a lot to lose, to put that way. I don't know
3: about I, you much. I I suggest that I think I mentioned this to you once before. Uh because he asked a question about believing Christians on the radio, on his radio program because he didn't understand it. What was it that kept someone out of the church? What was it? He was and I, I mentioned this before, he was referring to Gabe. Uh, and he didn't understand what it was. What what was the um how do I put it? Uh the thing, the one thing you couldn't do so you couldn't join the church. And uh and actually, a lot of things. But, it, but the funny, funny thing, the question so surprised me, because it's the same thing that would keep you from doing, from being a Jew. It's breaking the law. It's breaking the marriage covenant. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A person who is directly sinning against God and will not repent, that keeps you from God. That's true if you're a Jew or a Christian, isn't it?
3: So. It's breaking the the new the ten commandments is is the old covenant it's the old man's covenant and all those people who died in the wilderness broke that law
0: right right
3: and so if we if, we, if a Christian church decides we cannot join that church well you take the the example the, gave the day of the days. So you can come to the church, but you cannot join.
0: Right. Well, I would say, and I, that's correct, I think that, for example, it doesn't, there aren't many requirements for someone to become a Christian except belief and obedience and being born again, which we believe is baptism in water based upon your faith and repentance. Yeah. The New Testament teaches that. Now then, once you do that, yes, you're a Christian, and we will accept you unless you are openly living in flagrant violation of the New Testament teachings on morality or some other thing. And when that becomes apparent, there's going to have to be correction made, or you're not going to be accepted, and nor should you be. This is the point that the world cannot accept. They want to come and be a Christian and then be able to keep living exactly as they were before. A lot of Christians are like that, but and I call that being judgmental. But that's the—I think that's what the New Testament teaches. I—I I know that's what we try to practice here, uh, perhaps imperfectly. But I think that's what's right. Why? Well, one, it's an affront to God. But secondly, living in a flagrant sin against God is not good for the sinner. Why does God call something wrong? Well, in, in essence, it's because it's it's destructive or not good to the sinner. And so we have to think about that. Well, Ken, our time is gone today. I'm sorry i have to cut this off, but I appreciate your call and your comments very much, as well as Jerry's, other folks who got a hold of us. We thank you for that. Hope that you will continue to listen to the show. As I mentioned earlier, we meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. That's the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, here in Port St. Lucie, we meet at 10 o'clock this morning for Bible study, 11 o'clock for worship, and 7.30 on Wednesday night. we like to point you to our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. We are Come and be with us. We welcome you there and hope that you'll continue to pursue God through his word. Thank you very much, and may God bless you. Sweet the sound that the You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL Port St. Lucie.